And I want to say good morning to all of you, and uh, congratulations on braving the storm, uh, or the storm to come, or whatever it may be. Uh, we're thankful that yesterday was a nice day, because uh, we had a great time out at our trunk or treat, uh, and uh, over 1,100 folks, almost 1,200 folks came out uh, through there. We were able to give out Gospels of John, and uh, so much got done, and so we're really, really thankful for that. Um, and while we enjoyed it to death, there's nothing that replaces this. We get together on Sunday and we worship and we dig into the Word together. There's nothing like this. Uh, this is our precious, precious family time. Uh, if you are a guest with us today, I want to thank you for coming and being a part of our service. Uh, there are blue cards that are guest information cards. They're up on the side next to these mums on each side of the stage. If you'd come up after the service and grab one of those and fill that out, drop that into the boxes that are right next to there. Uh, that will be our record of you being here this day. It'll give us a chance to say thank you for coming uh, and to welcome you as well as to keep you up to date with what's going on at our church and seeing if there's something we could pray for you about or some way we could be of spiritual help to you. Uh, also up front, our prayer request cards. If you have a prayer need that you want our team to pray for you about or a needs team, uh, if you know of someone in need or if you're in need in your life and you need our deacon team to dig in to find out how we can help you, those cards are up there on the side. All right, so last week we finished our series talking about sexual ethics. Today we're going to pick up a new series and we're going to walk through uh, a chunk of the book of Psalms. Uh, you may not know this, but the book of Psalms is actually divided up into five separate books. And we're going to kind of focus on book one uh, going into the book of Psalms here. Obviously with 150 different Psalms, it's the, it makes sense that they've divided it up into different books. Uh, book one goes through the, the early 40s. Uh, and so we're going to kind of uh, go through some of those or, or most of those uh, and see what we can get. And today we start with Psalm 1, uh, probably one of my favorites. And I think one of the ones that is uh, just, just really, really up there. I think we have uh, ones that we're really familiar with. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Psalm 119, really, really long psalm. Uh, Psalm 117, two verses. Like We kind of know some things about the Psalms, but to me, Psalm 1 is a really, really precious one uh, to us. And, and Psalms, when you hear the word Psalm, maybe that sounds like a Bible word or a church word. It just means song. It was, these were the songs that the people of God sang together. And as you think about it, in our society, doesn't music play an important part in our society? It has a way of expressing our experience, our emotions, the things that we feel, the things that we go through. Not all songs are neat and tidy and, and you know, begin with a, a problem and end with a solution. Not all of them are like 70s sitcoms, you know, that like in a half hour, it's like, oh no, it'll never be okay. And then suddenly, oh, it's all fine. Everything's good. Songs aren't often like that, are they? Sometimes they take us in messy journeys. The songs of the word of God are like that too. This psalm, Psalm 1, actually in many versions is not even numbered. It is just kind of the header to the whole book. It's almost thought of as the theme, the, the thing that describes what this whole book of songs is going to be about. And so to me it is precious because it has guided some of the ways spiritually that we have shepherded and helped one another stay clear on what we should and shouldn't do. And so this psalm, Psalm 1, really, really powerful psalm. And so as we kind of look at Psalm 1 today, I want to ask you this. Um, do you know what it feels like to have a thirsty soul? I think we all recognize that. I mean, how long has it been since your soul has been truly thirsty? And maybe, maybe if the question for some of you is, how long has it been since your soul hasn't been truly deeply thirsty? 
We know that feeling inside of us, and maybe you didn't call it a thirsty soul. Maybe you called it something else. But that feeling where no matter what good happens, you just can't quite feel good. And um, something seems off, and something seems wrong, and nothing's quite in place. And maybe you've tried career, and maybe you've tried relationships, and maybe you've tried achievement and academics or whatever. And you've done this, and you've you've just taken you know a month off of work and and stayed home, and thought rest was the answer. And then you thought, well, trips are the answer. I'm going to travel to here and there and whatever. And we chase and we chase and we chase because something's not right in our soul. But we try to find some way to get to, to quench the thirst of our soul. And so while life can bring you very dry spells and can wring the life out of your soul, making you literally feel that you are withering minute by minute, desperate for just some kind of refreshing water, what we find here in this psalm is that we don't have to live like that. That there's an answer for thirsty souls. Now, wouldn't you like to know that answer? And it's only Six verses long. It's just a short little song. It's something you could probably even memorize and take with you wherever you go. What do I do for a thirsty soul? Now, I'll tell you, um, it reminds me about the fact that as my kids were going through school, let me just say this up front. I like all of my children. I like all of them. There's not one of them that I don't like. However, when they were in school, we, Dana and I, we're, we're very pleased to have some of their classes come over and fellowship at our house. And some of their classes, not so much. Some of them were just rough classes. And it, was, it, was, it didn't have anything to do with whether I liked this child or that child. It was just the people that were around them. You know, I actually had a conversation with one of my children's classmates while they were in high school where I said to him, I would like to take a blowtorch to your whole class. Not my best parenting moment. <laughs> but what I was trying to get across to him was that the way that they had you know, acted and talked and, and been, their attitudes, had been deeply painful for my child. And I wanted them to understand, as a dad, what that did inside of me and what that made me want to do uh, towards them. And then I apologized and tried to be godly after that, but... Don't you wish sometimes that we could get through to our kids about what people's opinion about you in high school or middle school actually is? Like, I wish I could have told them and they could have gotten it how flimsy the opinion of your classmates actually are. How short-lived, how shallow, how nothing they are for your life, right? Don't you wish we could get that through to them? But for them in that moment, and you and I in that moment, it felt weighty. It felt significant. It felt like those people who told me to just ignore it, they were just wrong. And how could they? They just didn't get it, right? They don't know what it's like to be in sixth grade or eighth grade or tenth grade. And so how could they understand? What is it about teenagers that makes us think about peer pressure, about the influence of people around us? I mean, they're walking through this zone of life where they're trying to do this hard work, and it really is, teens, it's really difficult work to walk this journey because you're trying to figure out who you are, where you fit, what you're good at, what you're genuine, what genuinely is you. And so what we tend to do, all of us, even us adults, we tend to gravitate in moments of uncertainty toward looking at what other people think about us to try to get our bearings about who we are and what we, what we actually do as, 
where we matter, where we fit. And yet with teens, it seems to have this outsized influence. And every parent who has parented teenagers and every youth pastor who's walked with teens through this knows the concern, who are my kids around? Who's talking to them? Who are they listening to? Who has their ear? This first psalm talks about thirsty souls, and it starts at the very beginning by talking about people that we hang around. Then it expands the discussion to talking about inputs in general that we have in our life. But ultimately, what I love when you get to verse 3 here is that it tells us how we can live what I'm calling today a drought-proof life. No matter how dry life is, no matter how hot it is, your soul does not have to suffer a drought. You can be ready for a drought-proof life. So start with me at verse 1, and we're going to see some of this kind of sense of influence in our lives. And here's what verse 1 of Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. So Psalm 1 kicks off. And it's going to get to this place where it addresses how you deal with a thirsty soul. And the first thing it talks about is the people around you. We live in, a, in an information world. And a lot of times information is really just, what does everybody think? You turn on a lot of channels on the TV or radio, and what you're hearing is, this person thinks this, and this person thinks that, and they argue with each other, and they call each other names. And, and so we're, we're dealing with opinions, Everybody's sharing their opinion and they're flying around and some we agree with and some we don't. Some irritate us and some soothe us. Some stir us up to anger and frustration. Some calm us and bring peace in our soul. But what I would say is, believers, far too often we manage our connections with people around us by how does that person make me feel? What do I think about how that person makes me feel? And you know and I know that sometimes we're wrong about that. Have you ever felt like I I can really be close to this person, I can really trust this person, and then you got really close to the person only to find out that they really hurt you? Oh, they didn't make you feel so good, did they? And so we, we find out that our feelings aren't really reliable in terms of whether we should be around this person or that person, and yet so often we use our feelings to decide who will be around us, who will have our ear. And so as this song starts to talk about one key to this drought-proof life, it says who you are connected to and what direction you're going matters. Who is around you, who's connected to you, and who you're walking this life with matters. If you want a life that is insulated against the dry times, if you want to have a soul that can thrive and be healthy, no matter what the heat is around you, who you are around and where they are going matters. The imagery in this first verse, I don't know if you picked this up, is the one against many. It starts with, blessed is the one, and then all the other categories are plural, sinners and mockers and the wicked. So there's like this lone soul here in the middle walking or making choices and all of this horde of people around them, kind of the picture, going against them. The currents are pushing against them. So often, droughts in life come with the feeling of being alone, being outnumbered, being hopelessly outnumbered. And this, this 
point that verse 1 makes is as relevant today as ever. There are so many voices, probably more voices than ever before, that we as people have to deal with, have to sort through, have to decide who's going to tell us the truth and who are we going to reject. So we can feel very, very alone. All day long, people are trying to sell you something. You have to have it. I loved when our kids were little and they would watch infomercials and then they would like, come and tell me about this infomercial. Dad, you have to see this mop. It's the best mop ever. It would make mom's job so much easier. You should get it for her for Christmas. Like, Thanks for the suggestion. I don't think that's going to fly. You'll figure it out later, right? There are people who are on TV telling us what we should believe and they want us to react, especially in a political season. Oh, this person's an awful person and that person's, and they want us to react to that. They want it to drive us to do what they want us to do. The world has a lot to say on sexuality. We've spent the last three weeks talking about that. The world has a lot to say about money, about what, it value, what its value is, about how we should handle it, about what we should do with it, about how we should pursue it. Relationships, what are good relationships, what are normal relationships, what are bad relationships? Lots of opinions coming at us. Your rights, what do you have the right to do? You have the right to be happy. You have the right to be satisfied. You have the right to have a trouble-free life. You have all these rights that people are, do you have those rights? Well, it makes me feel better to think I do, but do you actually have them? Where would you find this out? So we have all this information coming our way. How do we decide what's true and what's not? Who to go along with, who to join up with, who to let have influence on us? And so David says here in Psalm 1, the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or, ta- or sit in the company of mockers. He says, the people you're around it, that, that influence you matter. Even, I would say, metaphorically. In other words, you don't have to be around somebody for them to influence you in the way you think, right? You can have voices in your head from your past, maybe a, a parent or a friend or an ex-spouse or something like that, and they can, their voice can have like taking up space in your mind, and even though you're not with them, you are giving them influence, right? And so what what David says here is if you want to live a drought-proof life, you've got to recognize that who influences you matters. And he says the person who is blessed is the one who avoids and cuts off certain people and connections, Now, when we talk about blessed, Jesus uses this word in the Beatitudes too. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the difference in languages here from Hebrew and Greek. But Jesus uses this word too, blessed. And the word blessed is the word that means, I mean, we talk, how are you? I'm blessed. It means, you know, God is doing great things in my life and whatever. That's not this, this word. This concept is more like this. The person who is in an advantageous position, the person that you should desire to emulate, the person when you look at their life, you should say, that's the life I want. I want to do what they're doing. They have it right. They get it. They understand it. Their values are the right values. That's the blessed person. Now, in the, in the Beatitudes, it's really shocking because every Beatitude is blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. And you're like, what? That's crazy talk, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, think about it. I want it to dig into your mind. I want it to have an impact. David says here in a much simpler way, but it, Probably just as true and just as cutting, blessed are the people who don't envy the wicked, who don't follow people who thumb their nose at God, 
who don't walk with them and do things with them and let them influence them and look at them like, man, I wish I had that life. You see their money and you see their power and you see the crowds adoring them and somehow we think, man, that's the thing. That's the life right there. David says, the person who is in an advantageous position is the one who gets that that's not what you need, that's not what you want, and that will leave your soul desperately thirsty. The one who gets it is the one who understands life, who understands what matters, who understands what lasts. And that person, that blessed person, enjoys what is life-giving while turning away from what is poison to the soul. So many times when your soul is dry and thirsty, it is because you have allowed things and people into your inner circle, into your mind, into your soul to influence you. And maybe you thought they were telling you the truth, but turns out they were wrong. They were actually poisonous, deadly to your soul. What types of connections does he mention? He mentions connections with the wicked. The wicked are those who have done what they should not do. Literally, the word is the guilty. Those who have wronged, those who have done things that are wrong, and and the judgment has been declared on them already. And, And in terms of the psalm overall, what he's saying is those people who have taken what God said you shouldn't do and done it anyway, and those people who have said what God says I should do, I'm not going to do it. They just absolutely ignored the judge of the universe. They, they said, we don't care. And so they stand guilty. They are wicked. They reject God and his way. Sinners, people, the, the word for sinners are people who are dominated by lives of doing wrong. It is the normal pattern to their life. They have chosen to walk this pathway, to go this way, to build their lives in this way. And mockers are people who are vocally and publicly taking a stand against what is right. They are mockers. So you've got wicked sinners and mockers, three kind of versions of the same people. People who think that following God is dumb, that it's a myth, that it's a fable, that trusting God with serious things, like we talked about last week, sexuality, things like life and death, things like what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to set aside things that I want, that I desire, that I think are making me happy because God asked me to? Would I do that? That's stupid, they would say. That's ridiculous. You've got to go feed your desires. You've got to go pursue the things that make you happy. You've got to do the things that you want to do. And when God's people look at those people and say, those are desirable people. They have desirable lives. They're the ones having fun. They're the ones who are free. Then we are giving up our ability to be blessed, to live lives that are in advantageous positions. So when we adopt that, when we start living like that, I don't know if you noticed this or if you've ever heard this before, but what you see here is a progression. Because you start off with walking. The next phrase is standing. The next phrase is sitting. So, kind of get the picture here of somebody who's walking along with people like maybe i'm walking through them or whatever and then i'm just kind of stopped for a second and i'm going to spend some time here and maybe not a lot of time because we're still standing but then when i've taken a seat what have i done the the literal word for sitting there is to take up residence to make it my home these are my people 
Right? And so there's this progression that happens, these actions, because I look at these people as people who are, are desirable and I try to pattern my life after them, then my actions start to blend into their actions. And the, the pattern of you know, walking, standing, sitting is to express a completeness of life. It is the way that I live my life. It is the viewpoint that drives my life. And so we become more and more convinced and more and more comfortable using the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers as answers for our lives. Give me direction. Tell me what matters. Tell me what makes me matter. Tell me what gives me fun. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Now, I have to say before we get into verse 2 and 3, which I think are powerfully uh, redeeming truths, we're not talking about intentionally um, redemptive relationships. In other words, we're not called to isolate from the world and like, you know, anybody who doesn't follow God, I can't talk to you, I can't even look at you. Like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about people that you have in your inner circle that speak into your life, that share with you how they sort out life. And people who have rejected God are not people we should invite into that circle. David says there's one way that leads to being a blessed person, and there's another way that leads to being a soul that's very, very thirsty. The drought-proof life starts when you see by faith the people, the ideas, and the information that should not influence you, and you choose to set it aside. Are there people like that in your life today? Whether you know them personally or not, are there people, is there an artist that you listen to? Is there a show that you watch? Are there there people that you shouldn't be around? The crowd that you hang out with on Saturday night or Friday night and you go from this bar to that bar, are there people that got to be... Out of your life. Blessed is the one who recognizes that and does it. Some of us need need to rearrange our social calendar. Some of us need to put boundaries on relationships that are unhealthy in our lives. And say, no, you, you can't have all of this. Some of us need to say, that's as far as you go. And some of us need to stop giving so much weight to someone who is spiritually unhealthy in our mind and from their words. But the psalm doesn't end there. So verse 2, verses 2 and 3, here's what it says. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So we've got this, this blessed one and they don't do this. But it, the psalm doesn't tell us we should just go off and live in an isolation booth and cut off from all the bad people. It says it's more than just avoiding people who reject God. It's instead, verse 2, delighting in the law of the Lord. It is embracing and finding joy in something else. It is being intentional about an input that is good and reliable and true. And when we are intentional about it, what he says is, It brings joy to our soul. It is our delight. It is something that brings happiness to the depths of our being. When the psalm here talks about the law of the Lord, what he's talking about is Scripture. Talking about the Bible. Just like you and I would use the term the Bible to mean this, they would use the law of the Lord to mean this. For them, the law of the Lord was the instructions God had given them about how to live, about what to do and what not to do. And you could grade one another by are you good enough or bad enough, but the whole point behind it for God was, will you by faith trust me that my way is right? And will you follow it or not? 
And so the delight of the law of the Lord here is this idea of that my um, mindset, my values are spoken into by God Almighty. When you hear law, you can think rules. It's all about rules. The idea was, this is my way of seeing this world. I want to see this world the way God sees it. If you delight in the law of the Lord, like this psalm is talking about, then here's what happens. You show up at church, and you open your Bible, and you read it, and you delight in going, man, what can I follow that God gives me today? Because I'm so excited to see what God will do, how right he is. You're kind of like in this trembling anticipation of, you know God's got it right. You, you know he does. So let's just follow him and let's see what happens. If I said to you today, what if every single one of us just said, wherever God you lead, we're going to follow you. Whatever it costs us, whatever it takes, wherever you go, whatever that means, God, we're going to follow you. What if we all did that? Some of you are freaked out right now. Like, ugh. Because you've already had this discussion. God keeps coming in your life and saying, this has got to go, and this has got to start. And, you, and you're like, no, no, anything but that, God. Fix this other thing in my life. But the people who delight in the law of the Lord are the people who go, man, God has it right. And so what they do is it says they meditate in it day and night. Meditate day and night. What's he talking about here? And do you have to sit in some kind of weird way to do this? No. The word for meditate is a word, it's actually an onomatopoeia, it's actually a word that sounds like what it means in Hebrew. It's, a, it's kind of a muttering or a murmuring. The word is hagah. And it's, it's, it's kind of a under your breath kind of word, hagah. And that means to speak the words over and over again, to mutter and murmur to yourself. Now for you and I, that's a little bit like weird. I don't know if I would go around just murmuring to myself. But... The Jewish folks, the way that they recited and, and remembered and read the word of God, they read it out loud. They read it to themselves. And so if, if, if they were doing devotions, instead of just being quiet in a coffee shop with their coffee and reading or whatever, they would be reading it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. They would read it out loud. And so the idea here was to turn your attention to the word of God intentionally again and again and again, to speak them, but more than just to speak them, to give your attention to them, to give your focus to them, to reflect on what God says, on how God, God gives instruction about this life in this world. The invitation is for you and I to be mindful of God's word, to believe that his word is truth, that God knows the way, that God has an answer for your life, and therefore to delight in what he has to say. Our feelings can be powerful. Our feelings, you know, whether they are fears, whether they are desires, something I want, um, whether they are bitternesses, anger, they can be very, very frustration. But when I turn my mind to the word of God, the Bible says we are blessed when we set our thoughts on God's word, even when it goes against the flow of my feel. So, you're having a bad day. Does that mean you're not blessed today? So your feel says, this is a crummy day. But what's true? Can I go past my feeling to what's true? And we're called to do that again and again and again. 
It feels like everything's caving in. Is everything caving in? By the way, does God win in the end? So if that's true, then everything can't really be caving in. It's just another chapter, right, in the book. But how often do we live like it's not just another chapter, like it's the final chapter. It's the last word. It's the period at the end of the sentence. So we're told we are blessed when we set our thoughts on God's words. That's why we talk about devotions. Having a time each day when you read for yourself the word of God and then you grab some truth from it and you meditate on it. You hold it in your mind through the day. You let it change you. It's why we have every month we put out a challenge verse and I ask you maybe to memorize that or to write it down and put it in front of you because the word of God should be meditated on. It should be reflected on. It should be applied to your life in a very real way. Do you know what this, this month's verse has been? It's in, your, it's in your salt and light. Look it up sometime. It's a challenging verse. Better is someone patient than a warrior. Someone who has self-control than one who takes a city. There's more strength in patience than there is in overcoming other people, conquering other people. Anybody uh, challenged about patience? So what we're saying is take the verse, take the word of God, put it into your mind, put it into your soul, reflect on it, chew on it, hold on to it. Hard to do, I know. But then we get together every Sunday and we look at the word of God again. And we say, let's turn our attention to it. You know, I can do that anywhere. Sure you can, but you don't do it anywhere, do you? We do it here. On Wednesday night, we get together and we study the Word of God. Every other week, we get together in small groups and we study the Word of God. We are intentionally saying to you, let's do what Psalm 1 says. Why? Because I don't want you to live with a thirsty soul. I don't want you to be subjected to the droughts of life that want to wring the life out of you. I want you to live alive and full and thriving in this world. And so many answers the world gives us only take us to devastation and destruction. So we are invited to keep God's word as the focus of our mind, to keep God's way as the way that we are embracing and enjoy following. But how often do we do that? So clearly we drift, don't we? New Year's, you make a resolution, I'm going to have devotions every day. I'm going to be at church all the time. And then we drift. You know, here we are, end of October. I've drifted, I've drifted. So we have to come back. We have to come back. We have to come back again, 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 right? But you know what? You don't have to try to work hard to come back to. How often we set our minds on things that aren't true. Fears, insecurities, doubts, bitternesses. We don't have to set our minds on those. We just drift right towards them, don't we? The gravity just pulls us right into those things. And so we do meditate. The question is, what are you meditating on? What's got your mind? What are you reflecting on? Maybe it's your business stuff. That's the stuff you can't get out of your mind. Do you know what it says when the business stuff is the stuff you can't get out of your mind and that's the pattern of your life? It says business is your God. Because they have the highest place in your mind. And we all know that your business is only while you're here on this earth. And when we leave this earth, it's going to be over. But we don't live like that's the truth. We live like what I've got to do in tomorrow and the, through this work week and later today. That's the most important thing in my life. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. It says, gives this picture in verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. 
David says, when we consciously feed our souls the truth, when we hold on to them by faith, we are like well-watered trees. And it says we are planted by streams of water. It means there is this intention of placing the tree next to water. So what it says is this. If you and I will say, we're going to meditate in this, it's like if I went and took a tree and I planted it by a river of water. Why would I do that? Because I know the tree needs the water. If I didn't believe a tree needed water, I'd plant it anywhere. I'd plant it up here on stage. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need water, right? I'll tell you right now, these beautiful flowers up here, they're not going to live for very long. You know why? One of the things they need is light. Do you know what's not in this auditorium all week? Light. So they're pretty well they last, but they don't have what they need in here, okay? What I'm saying to us is when I plant the tree by the river of water, it's because I believe that tree needs that water to thrive through the dry times. And David says, if you really want to have a drought-proof life, plant yourself by this. Maybe the drought in your life is a lack of truth, a lack of passion for God's word and God's way. A lack of an open heart to it. I don't have time for that. I've got time for everything. I just don't have time for that. Actually, when it talks about rivers of water or streams of water, the word for that is a irrigation channel. It is that there is a farmer who said, my crops need water and I'm going to dig so that water gets from where it is to them because my plants need it. Have you dug any irrigation channels in your life? where your soul regularly gets the water that it needs from the Word of God or not. And when we do, when we're planted, this is what happens. We yield fruit. Healthy trees produce fruit. Sometimes what happens is we look at our lives and we say, there's no fruit. Well, I've got to try harder. The answer from Psalm 1 is not try harder. The answer from Psalm 1 is get planted next to the streams of water. Because when you have water at your roots, guess what happens? Fruit. Because suddenly you have what you need. Maybe it's not about trying to be a better person. Maybe it's about acting like you believe that God knows the way for your life. And putting his word in front of you every single opportunity, every single day. It also says this, his leaf, their leaf doesn't wither. So now, what would make a leaf wither? Well, lack of water could, for sure. But heat makes leaves wither too, doesn't it? So the idea is this. When the heat comes, the tree doesn't wither. Why doesn't the tree wither when the heat comes? Most trees do. It's planted by the river of water. It has the water it needs to stand up. And that says this to you and I. If my life goes like this, when life goes like this, I need to get serious about getting planted by the river of water. If I am withering when life gets hot and when life gets hard, the Bible has an answer for me, for my soul. Will I take it or won't I? And I don't think I would have to challenge any of you when it, if I was talking about this in terms of physical food, if you stopped eating today, in about six weeks, you're dead. Uh, that, what? Uh, no, you're dead. If you stop eating for like six weeks, you die. Because your body needs that input. 
But we walk around with souls that are starving, that are on life support, that are thirsty. And we try all of these non-spiritual things to satisfy our soul. And then we get frustrated when they don't. Maybe it's not that hard. Maybe it's not that complicated. Maybe it's not some grand mystery. Maybe it's just having a passion for what God took the time to give us and share with us as the truth. Do you have that passion? Are you sick of living dried out in your soul? Maybe today you need to get some things sorted out about what deserves your time and what doesn't. And so there's this picture of a drought-proof life planted by a river of water, fruit in its season, leaf not withering. Everything about it is going the way it should go as a healthy plant. What do we turn to for water for our souls that isn't water for our souls? And how long will we live like those things are true? Some people think if they plan enough for the dry seasons of life, they'll be, they'll be ready. They've got all their backup plans. They'll be ready. They're like uh, doomsday preppers. They've got all the toilet paper in the basement and all the canned goods. So that I'm ready, right? You can't prepare enough to offset a drought in your soul. The only answer is water. And there isn't water anywhere else. So many things that we think will make us drought-proof only make us more vulnerable. Now, the end of this chapter, the end of the song is about people who choose to go the different direction. Let's just read these verses, 4 to 6. It says this, Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. These last verses say, these are not blessed people. These are not drought-proof people. What are they? They are the wicked. They are those who have said, we, we see the word of God or we know about the word of God, but we care little or we care nothing for it. We're going to do our own thing and go our own way. And what he says is this, they have no root. The tree has roots down into the water. They have no root. They have no purposeful planting. They just go wherever they want to go. They have no substance. They have no weight. It says the very wind blows them away. Now, we talked about the, the heat, the, you know, a scorching heat that would make a tree's leaves wither. Over here, we're not talking about some giant wind. We're talking about the breeze. When, when a, a farmer would harvest wheat and, and you know, on the threshing floor, they would, they would beat it out. And then they had to separate the, the, the grains of wheat from the, the covering, the, what the Bible calls here the chaff. You know what they would do? They'd throw it up in the air. And all of the stuff that wasn't good would catch the wind, the little breeze, and blow away. They didn't have to wait for some big windstorm. They did it every day. The, the breeze would just blow it away. And all the good grain would just fall back down because it had weight. It had substance. Here's what it says. The ungodly, the wicked, those are the chaff. They have no substance. They have no weight. They have no, no root. They, they, they are subjected to the wind. And just a little breeze blows them away. Now, right now, all those who are wicked, they can look like they've got it made. Do you believe that they're like the chaff that the wind's going to just blow away? Do you believe that those who choose to reject God have no standing? Or do you think they have it made? That's the difference between whether you delight in the law of the Lord or you walk in the way of the wicked, isn't it? It is meant to be a picture of the day of judgment where the righteous will stand and the wicked will be blown away. What are you living like? What are you living like you believe is true? Those who are deeply rooted in God's word and God's way by faith, are you living like that? 
Or are you living like the wicked who do what they want and are blown around with every breeze and they won't be able to stand before God in the end? What are you living like? You have to choose. You can't live both. What has your attention? What has your mind? Your life is not on both paths. You have to choose the path you'll take. And by the way, the last verse tells us the Lord sees the path you take. You're not fooling Him. He sees what you're doing. He sees the path you take. So you can lie and you can cover and you can rationalize and you can justify and you can have arguments in your head all you want, but God sees what you're doing and you answer to Him. So you ready? Or not. You will never be able to flourish in the droughts of life if you don't have roots, if you're not planted by the streams of water. And I will say, Christians, maybe some of you have been a Christian a while, and you know what I'm talking about when I say this. Is God's word a joy to you or a duty to you? That's a huge, huge factor in whether you will passionately pursue what God says or whether you'll live with droughts in your soul? Is your life drought-proof? Have the times of heat and hardship blown you around, or are you still well-watered? We're going to close with a song today. And the team's going to come up, and they're going to play, and they're going to sing the song, and, and then there's going to be some words up here, and you can join in and sing with them and sing along. This song is a prayer that, that is a direct response to what we've talked about today. It's a song that, that I hope... You're going to find yourself singing as we go further into the song. Maybe you don't need to sing. Maybe you just need to respond in your soul. But it reminds me of something I read a little while ago. Let me share this with you as, as we get ready to close with the song. There are a lot of people who struggle with diets, trying to lose weight. You know, New Year's coming up and whatever. And I read this and it just it grabbed my attention because it was so counterintuitive and yet it felt so true. It said that, of the time when you feel hunger, it's actually your body telling you you need water. Now, if I really felt thirsty instead of hungry, I would go get, but I feel hungry. What they're saying in the research is that we learn to live with a hunger or or a thirst in our body and we learn to process it by go grab some food. So you can imagine what happens. People who need more water are looking for more and more food because they keep having this craving and they can't quench it because they're not giving it what it needs they're giving it other things and i thought that's such a great picture for spiritually how we live isn't it we have thirsty souls but we misidentify it we think what we need is advancement in our job or my kids to act better or more money and a different house and people to say the right things or whatever we think we need stuff that isn't water for our soul what you need is water for your soul Today, I'm going to invite you to come and find that water. Maybe for you, it's just a refreshing. Maybe it's been a long time. But this morning, as they sing this song, it's a prayer for us. As they sing this first part, just listen. Let it wash over you. Then I'm going to get up and I'm going to just kind of give you a couple thoughts. Then there'll be some words up here and maybe you can sing along with them. But let's close by turning our hearts to this thought and this concept today, the water that's available for us.